0: All right, let's go ahead and get started this morning. I want us to tackle the topic of prayer. We're looking at commitment in the the six week study. Last time we considered commitment to church membership, and in the equip hour, we wrestled with how do we prepare for a weekly expression of commitment to the church. Uh, not just in our service, but more in our, the individual approach to Sunday. And we had some great discussion on what that could look like. Hopefully your Saturday wasn't so hectic that this morning is the first time you're catching your breath. Uh, and if it was, well then, catch your breath here and be ready to go in the next hour. This morning we want to consider uh, a personal understanding of committing to prayer for the church. Not just prayer in general, but very specifically, intercessory prayer. So let's begin with a definition of intercession from you, the people, all right? How do you, what do you think of when you think of intercession? Give us a definition. All right, so on behalf of someone else. Specifically, prayer. So, we could think of, you know, making our requests known to the Lord, and we have all these burdens and we cast them on the Lord, and that's good and right. The scriptures are full of that kind of praying. But in intercessory prayer, we're, we're making this request on behalf of someone else. Now, I guess we could even go a little farther in defining that, um, because we could pray for someone else. And it could fall under the category of imprecatory praying, right? We could be praying on behalf of the wicked, but if you read the Psalms and you're asking the Lord to, you know, crush their teeth or whatever you find there in the Psalms, um, wouldn't quite be the definition of intercession. So intercession would be different than imprecation because we are praying for God's favor on others, Uh, So praying on behalf of another's needs, praying in favor of someone else. Romans 15.30, Paul writes to the church, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So a, a, a pretty strong appeal. It's Trinitarian. By the Lord Jesus Christ by the love of the Spirit, and to God. Paul says, in that context, I'm pleading with you to pray for me. Pray on my behalf. And so there's, there's our understanding of intercession. Um, can you think of some examples of intercession? We're going to land on one in the New Testament for a little bit of group study. Can you think of some Old or New Testament examples of intercession? Yeah, Aaron. Yeah, one of the earliest you might think of in Genesis 18. Uh, Abraham interceding for Lot and any of the righteous that would be in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. We mentioned this somewhere recently in one of our studies because in, in that context, in his pleading for the righteous in those cities, he asked that question, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Um, so good. Abraham. Uh, Roy. Yeah, in Chronicles and Kings, there's a record of his prayer, Solomon dedicating the temple. And it, it involves a lot of themes. There, there's confession. There's the hope of confession. So like a famous verse, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. Well, that's Solomon praying that. He's saying, if if the people of my kingdom uh, will turn, Lord, please hear them and, and, you know, heal their land and bless them and all those things. So you study those prayers and in all those themes, you do find a spirit of intercession. What else? Yeah, Alan. Yeah, Moses might kind of... Swing to first place in a sense because he is often interceding. Um, now sometimes, sometimes you can sense the frustration. You know, uh, he—it's not always Puritan. You know, spirituality on display. Uh, there are times like he's like, "These are your kids, not mine. Like you deal with them." Um, but often there, there's that sense where he recognizes they're in a world of trouble and Lord, would you be merciful, and he he pleads God's name and his character, and so Moses will often be praying uh, for Israel. It's interesting, in Exodus 8, Pharaoh even asks Moses to intercede on his behalf. Um, Pharaoh, of course, rode that roller coaster, and whether it was questioning or manipulation, we we don't know, but uh, in the end, of course, he rejects all of what the God of Israel had to offer. Um, But Moses is a key Old Testament figure of intercession. Who else? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Luke 22. uh, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. That's bad news. (laughs) You don't want God saying that to you, and yet that was offset by... But I have prayed for you. Uh, and so the, we know the story, the denial uh, around the fire that night of the betrayal, um, miserable failure, kind of despair. Peter says, I quit. I'm going fishing. The whole story, all the way up through the restoration and Peter preaching at Pentecost, it all comes back to that text. Satan desired to destroy the faith and ministry of Peter, but it didn't happen. Because of intercession. Uh, Someone else had a hand up. Paul. John 17. Uh, You go through the whole prayer, and it's essentially intercession for those immediate followers, his disciples, that were going to be the the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise that the church is going to spread through all the world. But then he prays specifically for those who would believe because of their evangelistic spread. Uh, essentially, he's praying for all of us and all who would believe. Uh, So read John 17 and understand uh, the high priest who we're told in Hebrews ever lives to continue making an intercession. His blood is still sufficient to cover our sins. Uh, His righteousness is still sufficient to have us make an entrance into heaven. Uh, So John 17, good. What else? And in the end, their great battle cry was, you know, the Lord, he is God. Um, What else? Any others you can think of? Yeah, Valerie? Yeah. Daniel chapter 9, another one that blends elements of confession. We would look at it and think, okay, there's an example of how corporately we can make a prayer of confession. It may not be our exact sin struggle, but recognizing we're praying for God's people um, but along with that intercession or confession is intercession. So, Daniel 9, another key example. Anything else you think of? Yes, Acts 12 will be our study this morning uh, in the morning service. Job is mentioned as an, uh, one who prayed prayers of intercession. It's at the very end of the story. Um, I don't remember if God is describing Job, um, but basically Job is asked by God to pray, make sacrifices, and a prayer of intercession on behalf of his friends, who we hear so much about in the book of Job, because they didn't always speak what God wanted them to speak, um, and so he, Job, was asked to intercede on their behalf. Um, good, a lot of examples of intercession, uh, Before we get to the example I want us to look at, I want to just uh, highlight two books, probably only a year or two old, both by an author you may be familiar with, Nancy Guthrie. One is I'm Praying for You, 40 Days of Praying the Bible for Someone Who is Suffering. All right, so that's just uh, a short heading and then a a scripture and a paragraph or two to unfold that. Uh, Number 17, I'm praying that there will be a harvest of righteousness in your life. I'm praying that you will remain faithful. I'm praying that you will sense the Holy Spirit. I'm praying for you to trust the Lord for your security. Uh, Simple prayer, where it would be rooted in Scripture, and a little bit of understanding about how and why we would pray that way. So that's 40 examples of praying for someone in suffering. The one year praying through the Bible for your kids, same thing. Um, A simple prayer request, a birth that comes from God. So we're praying for new life, regeneration, rooted in scriptures, a paragraph or two, and a sample prayer. You say, well, aren't those kind of like crutches? I would say, exactly, (laughs) exactly, until you learn to walk well. Uh, if If you want some counsel on what do you mean when you say pray for people, I would say, grab these books, use it for a little bit, and then realize, wait a minute. If I were to read a paragraph of scripture, I could have probably written that short little sentence, I'll just pray this for others. Here's the paragraph it's rooted in. I know how to do this. So as examples, uh, take a look at those or get them yourself and realize, okay, I'll use some crutches or a cane until I'm standing strong and know what I'm doing here because it's, it's really not complicated. God's not asking you to invent things to, to pray about. Uh, what's on your mind? What's bogging you down? What's weighing your spouse down? What's causing your friends trouble? Pray for God's favor in those lives and ask, what does his favor look like? And that's how the scriptures direct us. We, we know from scripture what God wants to do in their heart, in, the, in their souls. We may not know what he wants to do regarding their physical health, their finances, those broken relationships. We don't know if he's fixing and mending and healing because we know from the Apostle Paul, he, he prayed for healing and God said, there's something better that I'm going to do for you than that. Uh, I'm going to show you grace and power even in your weakness. So Paul backed up and said, okay, well, then I'll stop praying for healing because I'd much rather have your power on display in my life. I'll glory in my weakness if I can have those things. So a couple of tools, and that's what they are, and eventually you won't need them because you're going to see in in the simplicity, you're going to think, wow, man, somebody probably made a lot of money on that. And that's just a basic idea that would help us learn what we mean when we say intercessory prayer. It's not that complicated. So let's look now at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. And I want us to look at a failure of intercession. Jesus has just celebrated the Passover with his disciples. He made it clear this is the last time he would do that. Um, he's going to wait till another season, another era, another time uh, to sit down and fellowship with all of his church in the fullness of what was pictured in that Passover meal. So we know from the narrative and the story that's unfolding that Judas is the traitor. He's going to get up from this very dinner where he was considered a guest of honor when we see the seating arrangement we know from the tradition of the passover that those who sat on the left and the right of the master were the guests of honor uh, we know john was on one side of jesus and judas was likely on the other side seeing that he was within reach of jesus handing him that the bread that he had dipped in the sauce and on a three-sided table, there's nobody across from you. It's only the people next to you. So every indication is Judas is an honored guest, and yet he's, he's a rebel. He's a traitor. Uh, he goes out uh, to, to arrange the meeting in the garden where he would betray Jesus. Well, our text, after the, the Lord's Supper unfolds there, and Jesus just takes elements on that meal the bread and the glass of wine and uses them as illustrations. The bread that he would break and pass around would be his body broken. Um, the, The wine in the cup in its red color served as a vivid illustration of his blood that would be shed as he goes to the cross to die on behalf of the sins, not of his own doing, but of all those who would believe. So, Here are these illustrations and and we've, you know, we've kind of formalized them. And so at the Lord's Supper or communion, we have the cups of juice and and the broken pieces of bread. But just realize this was the normal annual celebration like our Thanksgiving. And Jesus used those elements to show as illustrations that he was the one that would be the remedy for all the, the mess and ruin of sin. Verse 30 of Matthew 26 says, when all this was done, when... They sang a hymn, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So they leave Jerusalem, they go down into the Kidron Valley, and you start going up a little bit of a hill, and you come to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is kind of on the slope of the Mount of Olives, which kind of overlooks the city of Jerusalem. If you've ever seen the the more modern walls, still a thousand years old, but... Uh, Uh, Of Jerusalem with the big golden gate, and you can see the the dome of the rock. Um, That's usually a view from the Mount of Olives, but in between there would be this little garden, and you can still go to it today. They think some of those olive trees are thousands of years old. Um, There they went, down the winding hill, out of the city, and up the slope to uh, the olive garden, uh, Gethsemane, which has... The meaning of being a press, where they would press and squeeze the the olives. They come there, and Jesus says, verse 31, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. We could read about that. After the resurrection, he meets them all on the shores of Galilee when they were fishing. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep, take your rest. Later on, see, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And you can read the rest of the account of Judas leading the band of Jewish and Roman soldiers uh, and arresting Jesus there in the garden. A little bit of sword wielding from Peter, lops off Malchus's ear, Jesus heals it. So all kinds of spectacular details as you compile the story from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But I want us to stop and just think here a minute about Jesus taking the three chief disciples, Peter, James, and John, They were often singled out for a little bit of extra responsibility and leadership. The hearing of Jairus' daughter, they're invited to be there. Mount of Transfiguration, they're asked to be there. uh, To go and prepare the Last Supper, two of the three are sent. So these three were kind of the leaders among the group of disciples. And Jesus is counting on them uh, to to share his burden uh, and to watch and pray with him. I want us to just try to walk through the text and just think together on how they failed so miserably at intercession. It's not just one time. Three times, we're told, they're, they're urged to do this. And each time, they just go to sleep. You know, if this week you shared some big burden in your life with somebody in church uh, and asked them, you know, hey, could we meet this week? Or would you pray about this? And you came back the next Sunday and they said, Oh, yeah, I forgot all about that. You know, I just had to do laundry and rearrange the Tupperware in my kitchen, you know, and oh, I just forgot, you know. Oh, okay. Well, you pour it out again and like, Hey, will you p- pray with me this week? And you come back the next week and they're like, Oh, you wouldn't believe I I'm sorry, I forgot all about that. You know, I, I wanted to get my pet groomed, so I just spent a lot of time brushing my dog and I, I just forgot. Yeah, I'm sure it's really important. So tell me again what that was. <laughs> By the third time, you know, you're just going to think, ah, maybe I'll find someone else. Uh, because this is, this is like, a, like, we can't believe this is happening. And yet, before we get too hard on the disciples, we need to ask ourselves, like, well, how, how much did I really pray for others this week? Oh, I may have prayed for something. I might have been thankful for my food three times a day. I might have told God I'm in a real bind financially, or I really need your help with this. But what about all the stuff we know about others and the burdens they're bearing? Maybe our record of intercessory prayer isn't that much better than the disciples. So how did they fail at intercession? I'll give us a first kind of thought, and then as we look through the text, maybe you can come up with some others. First, I thought they didn't believe the warning of danger. In verse 31, Jesus tells them what's going to happen. You will all fall away because of me this night. You would think that would set them on edge a little bit. Like, okay, maybe I should be mindful of my own struggle and be praying for the others here because it says that Jesus lays it out clearly and he quotes a prophet uh, Zechariah I believe that they would have known strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter maybe they thought he was speaking in some kind of you know hyperbole or something but clearly they didn't believe these words that came out of Jesus mouth so much so that Peter says in verse 33 Though they all fall away, I will never fall away. Well, think about that in the context of intercession. We can think about it in the context of pride, how how silly of Peter to think he would never do this. And he goes on to say, you know, I'll never deny you. And we know how the story goes. But just thinking in the context of intercession to say to Jesus, who just said they're all going to fall away... And you say, so what if they all fall away? I won't. I want to ask, does God care if you don't fall away? If your heart is, so what if the rest of them do? I won't. Jesus is about to walk them right up to the brink of intercessory prayer by saying, will you watch and pray with me? And in their minds, they've heard him say, you're all going to fall away. And Peter, James, and John don't care to pray for anybody that they won't fall away. You see, when we think of church membership and intercessory prayer, you realize you bear some responsibility when people fall away from the church. That's on everybody. Not their sin, but if we haven't interceded for them, can we say we've done everything in our power to be sure that they're faithful? It's great to say, I want to I be a part of a church so all these people can help me and do stuff for me. But the reality is, Jesus is saying, okay, you three, you're leaders of men. And that means you'd better be those who care for men. But they just didn't believe. This warning of danger, they they brushed aside the possibility that they could ever fail. They had a pretty exaggerated view of themselves and perhaps the circle of disciples. So they didn't believe this warning that Jesus gave. One of the harshest things he probably ever said to them, one of the sternest warnings, and it just went right over their heads. Because we know from the other gospel accounts that from the upper room, even to the garden, they were still disputing who was the greatest in the kingdom? And it emerged out of a previous conversation before they even went into the upper room. So in going into the upper room, they're all argue about, arguing about who's the greatest. And so John 13 tells us not a single one of them wanted to wash the other's feet. And so Jesus had to do it as an example to them to quit arguing about who's greatest and demonstrate your greatness by serving others. Well, they failed at intercession because they didn't believe Jesus' words of warning. The danger that we all face. Uh, your husband, your wife, your kids are facing dangers this week. The culture is, is, is clamoring for their souls. And you, you can lecture and you can, you can try to tell them what's right but you'd better be interceding for them. Do you hear the words of danger that we live in this crooked and twisted generation and you have light, so share that light, but then intercede for your children that that light would be effective, that they would stand for truth, that God would be merciful to them. Don't fail at intercession because we ignore the reality of danger. Let's look at verse 33. Uh, well, even beyond that. Um, let's look down at verse 37. What, what, what can we learn from verse 37, which seems to be a verse that just gives us some narrative detail? Jesus talking with, them, with him, oh, and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he, that's Jesus, began to be sorrowful and troubled. What do we take from that kind of description? Very next verse is going to tell us what he said, and from what he said, it sounds very similar. So why the narrative detail that he began to be sorrowful and troubled? How how would this point us to a failure of Peter, James, and John? The word sorrowful, pretty simple to understand. We we know sorrow. Troubled may not do justice to the Greek text because in, in that idea of trouble, there's an intensifier to make us realize extreme trouble, all right? So what does it mean that Jesus manifested sorrow and, and, and the weight of extreme trouble? Yeah. So they failed at intercession because they didn't see the signs of burden, of need, of, we might say, struggle. Sure. So there's the failure. If they did pick up on it, um, they certainly didn't care to do much with it. Uh, Proverbs 15 verse 13 tells us, a glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is crushed. Well, those are descriptive terms. A cheerful face, you can see that, and a spirit that is crushed. Now, the spirit part, we don't think of being able to see, but we, the point is, in the simple wisdom of Proverbs, with a little help by the, from the spirit, we, we can grow in our discernment of how people are doing. Now, you know, somebody could be tired, and you might read it as troubled. Well, then you could ask, and they might tell you, no, I just didn't sleep well last night. Okay. Um, But even in the asking, you're at least communicating that you are in tune with that person, uh, with their being. You, You should be able to tell with those that you know best if they're sorrowful and extremely troubled. If you haven't discerned those signs in your spouse or your kids after years and years you might be a little too self-centered. But the text is careful in the different gospel accounts to record some of these details that help us understand, I think they should have picked up on this. They should have seen those signs of need, of burden. Well, the text goes on. After they should have seen the trouble and the sorrow, verse 38, then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful. Again, it's the word sorrow and the word for surround. Smashed into one word and they translated it very sorrowful, but it literally means surrounded by sorrow. And if you've ever been there, you know you don't escape it. You don't say, well, here's the sorrow. I'm going to go this way. No, because you can't. Everywhere you go, everything you do, you're surrounded by that grief and that sorrow. You can't go to bed and think, well, I'll just go to bed and forget about it. No, you lay there stewing about it. You wake up stewing about it. So Jesus tells them, my soul is very sorrowful. Look at the next words. Even to death. When has anyone told you? And maybe a few of you have heard it from someone. I am am so done. I'm so buried by this that I I, I just feel like it's going to be the death of me. Well, Jesus tells the three leaders of the disciples, I'm in a really intense struggle. The battle is great. The sorrow is enormous. The weight of this is unbearable. It's crushing me. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And we know from verse 41 that what, it, what that means. You're not looking around. That's watch and pray. Clearly, they failed at intercession because they just didn't empathize with another's circumstances. Jesus tells them, here's where I am. It's it's crushing me. And it meant enough to them that they fell asleep. Even when he came back and wakes them up and says, No, really, would you pray for me? This is this is the battle. What do they do? They nod their head like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm sure it's really important. And they sleep again. And a third time, they sleep. So empathy, care, love, whatever word we want, we want to dismantle here, we're saying they didn't have it, not to the level that they would act on it, that they would actually bear this burden with their friend, my soul is sorrowful even to death. And what we would call his closest friends just napped. We, we would be offended. You would not think that person your friend. And yet Jesus in his compassion and his mercy is, is going to keep loving these guys and is going to keep equipping them and is going to keep using them as those that would carry the gospel to the nations but we can certainly understand this is a failure. They just didn't take the time. I think this is the beginning of the fulfillment of Psalm sixty-nine twenty. Reproaches, the psalmist says, but it's really Jesus' words, fulfilling it. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. I think Peter, James, and John would have known this, the psalms. They would have sung these songs. Somewhere down the road, they must have realized, wait a minute, that that that's us. Oh, you could say it's also Christ on the cross and no compassion, but the very words here seem to, to match our text. The despair, the, the asking for help, the looking for comforters, friends that would intercede, and they weren't there to be found. They failed at intercession because they failed to empathize. They failed to want to bear the burden of another. Paul writes of, um, uh, does he write of in Philippians 2? Is it Timothy? Epaphras? Somebody can find that. Um, He says, I'm sending him to you because there's nobody I know that thinks like him. He always is concerned with other people's burdens. He doesn't think of himself. That's what Jesus was looking for in these guys. And and by God's grace, I'm sure they developed it and learned from this. But in this moment, there was no comfort from them, no pity, no help. Even though he asked for it three times, will you not watch with me? Will you not watch and pray? I think we could also look at verse 40. When he, Jesus asked this question, could you not watch with me one hour? Peter, you're, you're, you're bragging about a life lived for me and you'll never turn away and you'll never deny me and you'll, you'll die for me. Well, I don't need you to die for me just yet. I just need you to pray for a little bit. So the one hour stands in contrast to this life or even heroic martyrdom death that Peter declared was what he was all about. And Jesus says, I, I, just, I just want one hour. I just want you to have it in your mind and, and bear the burden. But the disciples underestimated their weakness Verse 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yeah, they were quick to step away from the other eight disciples. They all went to the garden. They stopped there, so eight of them stayed there. And Jesus took Peter, James, and John on a little further. I almost picture them looking back at the other guys like, yeah, they didn't make the cut. And now Jesus is telling the strong ones, the leaders, yeah, you were willing, but the flesh was weak. You you gave in to being tired. They underestimated their weakness. They thought they were elite, strong, the privileged ones. And yet Jesus was showing them that maybe they're the weak ones. Maybe they thought too much of themselves. They failed at intercession. They didn't see those warning signs of danger when Jesus said, listen, tonight's going to be really rough. You're all going to fall away. That should have been an immediate summons to prayer. But they missed it. They shirked the responsibility of friendship. Here's this inner circle of disciples, the ones Jesus was counting on, and they sleep. Three times they shirked their responsibility. They didn't see the, the signs of sorrow, of, of struggle, of pain. They should have seen it. And there's times we come Sunday morning and go home and, and enjoy our lunch and our rest and, and we feel refreshed and we're ready to go, but we should be thinking did I, did I notice anyone else? What if someone else wasn't going home to a good lunch? He was going home to the misery of their loneliness. Would you know? Did you, did you see, did you look at people with, with, with a desire to see their soul? Like, like, where are they? How are they doing? They missed it. They didn't understand, even when Jesus told them, I, I'm, I'm in a bad place. And it just didn't penetrate Self, their their little world. What if the text had recorded? Well, I'd love to pray, but I'm really tired right now. I've had a long day. (laughs) Do you think that would go over well with any of us reading that? Oh, well, okay, we'll excuse it then. No. None of us find it in our hearts to excuse their, their heaviness, their tiredness because we know the story, we know what's going on, and we think at that moment, at this crucial moment in the history of humanity, in the story of redemption, and yet you failed miserably. As if to add just another layer of black to this backdrop of the gospel, that we just will fail miserably at everything we try to do apart from Christ. He's the only one who is gonna get it right. They failed because they underestimated their weakness. And then lastly, I think they failed at this matter of intercession because they just stopped trying. They just stopped trying. So the first time, Jesus goes a little farther and he prays. He comes back. He finds them asleep. Failure number one. Will you not watch with me? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray. Pray. He goes again, second time he prays and he comes back and the second time he finds them asleep. He speaks to them again. I I should say he wakes them up and speaks to them again. And in Mark's account, on this second encounter of their being asleep and speaking to them, the text says, and he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy. And Mark adds this, and they did not know what to answer him. Because he came back and he said, what? Could you not watch and pray one hour? And they didn't say, we're really tired. The text says, they didn't know what to answer. But instead of thinking, guys, we're going to stand up and... <laughs> and hit me with a rock if I start nodding off. No, it just says they slept again. They, they felt the conviction of not even know, know what to say to their friend who said, guys, you're failing me here. And they just went back to sleep. If you had any image of these disciples being these great heroes of the faith, it's, it's, it's falling apart when Jesus is pleading with them to pray and they don't know what to say? How about, yes, we will. We're sorry. We we should have loved you enough to, to put everything aside and pray and yet they didn't know what to say. And they felt comfortable in just sleeping through the next prayer. So three times they slept when they could have prayed. And in this story of Sleepy Disciples, we, we're really seeing this uh, model of how to fail at intercessory prayer. And a lot of it is, just be busy with yourself. Woe is me and tired is me. And that that's the weight of Philippians 2, when we're told to have the mind of Christ, which was just revealed as not thinking only of our own needs, but thinking more of others' needs. So just in in the hour or two that we have left gathered today, just be thinking, okay, I have my list of my needs, keenly aware of them, not going to forget them. But I need to set that aside, not because it's unimportant, not because it's not crushing you perhaps, but because the mind of Christ is on the night that he would be betrayed, abused, scourged, and soon crucified, he steps into a room weighted down by the reality of what was going to happen that night, John 13 tells us, but has an antenna for unwashed feet. And nobody willing to do that, and so he will. Of all the nights... Really, you're going to deal with that? But that's the mind of Christ. And so set your needs aside, knowing that God will care for you and your burdens, but he's asking you to think more of others. So look into their eyes, listen to their answers, follow up with questions, because not just you want to know, but you want to know how you can take that and bear that burden this week. That's, the success of intercession. We're in this together, and that sounds good until we're asked to pray for one another. So don't just say you will, but really take that. Take that to your garden of Gethsemane and feel the press. Feel, feel the, the weight of the burden and pray for that person. Put yourself in their shoes and ask yourself, I wonder what that how they feel, and and then pray the scriptures for them. So we've seen all these examples of intercession, but of this one ugly example, uh, we have much to learn uh, because I think we're more like these disciples than perhaps we want to admit. Uh, And that's not all bad news either because that same Savior who's gracious and merciful will keep calling us again and again. You can do this. Watch and pray. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? One of them is watch and pray. Do this for one another. Some of you would have a hard time standing at a hospital bed and holding somebody's hand in stage four cancer. You'd say, I don't have the words to say. Well, I would say you might get better at that too eventually, but you can pray. You say, Well, I'm not real good at meals, and you can pray. In these coming months, as we're thinking of what does God want from us as a church family, you say, well, I might not be able to fund a renovation of the activity center, but I can pray. I can intercede for the church, for God's people, that the church would have purpose, that it would be a church that's characterized by purity. You can pray. Hear Jesus' voice. Watch and pray. Pray and respond to it, lest we hear his voice. What? Could you not watch and pray? So Heavenly Father, as your disciples said, we so say, teach us to pray. Give us the kind of love that produces this beautiful fruit of praying for one another. And maybe even today, we would leave from our gathered worship and we'd go home and and we would have something that we know about somebody in this room that we can pray for and we can partake in this ministry of prayer, taking the burdens that weigh so heavily on someone we love to you, the God of heaven. Make us obedient and full of faith so that we'll do this well, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.